We're on the boulevard. Hello, guys. How are you? Um, good. How are you? I'm good. As I just announced at the end of our other podcast, um, it's it's about to be Yom Kippur. So happy holidays. Happy New Year to those who are also observing. Um, and so I will be fasting eventually. But for now, I'm good. When does when does the fasting start? Uh, it'll start tomorrow. Tomorrow, okay. But is it like after sundown or something like that, or yeah, it, like the, in the following twenty four hours. Okay, and it's right. so today's Tuesday. Tomorrow, like sundown Wednesday to sundown Thursday. Gotcha. gotcha. So I'll I... really feel it around like three four p.m. on Thursday. Right. And so, are you doing anything special when you break the fast, or you're just like it's just like whatever? You're just having like a regular whatever. Nah, we're just having meals. Okay. All right. So, hey, we got shit to talk about. Um, We do. So I'm going to start because I'm selfish. Okay, good. Which one are you starting with? Uh, I'll start with my trip to the theater. I've mentioned oh, a couple other trips recently. So many questions, but yes. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. I hope I have some answers. Okay. So we mentioned in the last couple months that we have taken a couple, indeed, a pair of trips to the theater. We saw a couple smaller off off Broadway shows. Um, now we went back to see a Broadway show for the first time in just about 18 months. Uh, it's called Passover. It's a new play. Um, it had a run uh, off off Broadway, or I guess it was off at Broadway at Lincoln Center a couple years ago. Has also played at Steppenwolf. Spike Lee recorded and directed it for Amazon there. But, but this play once the Broadway League announced that theater in New York was going to reopen, you know, there was kind of like a little shell game and a reordering of things. And one show said it was going to open on today's date, September 14th. And then Hadestown said, we see you and we're going to open earlier. And then Passover said, actually, we're going to be the first play to open Broadway. There's a little pissing contest going on there, huh? In in (laughs) August. So that, that gets the asterisk. Um, and so I saw it this past weekend, which was to be the actual opening weekend, but they had moved it. They bumped it up even further. Um, so yeah, it is written by Antoinette Nwandu, uh, who I used to know a bit. She used to review plays for Off Off Online when I was an editor there. So we were both uh, writing there and she was writing for me, essentially, uh, I don't know, going back 15, 16, 17 years. Oh, so wow. I've seen the, the sort of the arc of her career so props to her um uh and the play is directed by danya tamor uh i can start describing it unless you already have questions well i think my biggest question was what was it like going back to broadway i mean because that's you know small theaters a small capacity I, i don't know did you feel comfortable i felt Comfortable. I didn't have any real concerns. Um, although I wear glasses right now, I need to go back to uh, an eye doctor so I can get more contacts eventually. Um, and my problem there is when I wear masks for an extended period of time, they fog up. Mm-hmm. So my glasses were fogging up during a lot of the show. Um, oh, but like, so be it. Uh, but in terms of other concerns, I didn't really have any. But I also did not feel like 
the magic of a sense of return. Like there was no fairy tale coming out of, you know, like into Oz or anything like that. It was just like, okay, here we are. Huh. Um, okay. And this show is not selling well. So it was basically just a bunch of people sitting right in front all around us. And then no one in the rest of the seats or in the balcony, pretty much. Oh man. And, and I was at a, press performance i believed so that means of the seats that were full even uh, i mean this show is probably at like 15 percent capacity and <gasps> the majority of those are probably free oh i guess nobody wants to go to the still go to the like nobody's comfortable in the i theater. think there are a lot of obstacles still because i don't uh, think it's the show i i don't think i i've got well i don't think reviews. i i think i i think it's there are no toys i don't I think, I think it's a big uphill battle yeah yeah i think i think it's tougher still for a play than it is for a musical or for a known property of a musical like say waitress or wicked or something um but i think it's still like people aren't coming and tourists aren't coming and that's a lot of Broadway's or particular Broadway's bread and butter. Um, And I think it's just an unknown property. Yeah. Remind me, I don't remember. Are there any like stars? And I don't think there are, right? No, No, I would not call them stars. There are no namey folks. No. Now there is a Tony winner, but I don't really count that as a star. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to, I wish I could say it was a star, but, but, but again, the star doesn't matter either because there are no tourists. Right. It's like the tourists want to come and see. I mean, well, we all want to see Denzel Washington, but like it's mostly the tourists that care about that, really. You know, ultimately. yeah. I mean, who you're really trying to sell to when you cast a star is the out of towners. And I know that there was a conversation, like the conversation sort of leaned towards, well, for Broadway is going to go back to what Broadway was originally for it was for new yorkers so it's sort of like that nostalgia of like back when neil simon was putting plays you know what i mean like the new plays of neil simon were on broadway it was like all new yorkers would go to broadway it wasn't the tourists but i kind of felt like that ship sailed new yorkers i I hate to say it but i don't think new yorkers like the new influx of new yorkers go to the theater i like the old school New Yorkers, like I think they go to event theater and event theater only, and they are not the people that go out five nights a week, four nights a week to see theater. I just don't think that they exist. No, in New I York mean anymore. I I'm agreeing with you, and I don't even think you have to be an apologist about it. I, I mean you can you can extend it further. New Yorkers are no longer like a people of culture. And I don't even yeah. mean that in a derogatory way. It's just the reality of of how they are, of how they yeah. are. Like, and I'm talking about all of the actual people that live in Manhattan and yeah. the four boroughs. Yeah. Um, there's just a select sect of them that are truly turned on by like theater as a thing that New Yorkers really do and live for, and are are aware have like a, a an appetite for. One time, a couple of years ago, I was on the subway and uh, there were these two youngish women on the subway. They they were probably in their late twenties, early thirties, and I it sounded like one of them w- like was sort of fed up with the city and wanted to move out. And she was sort of like talking about. I think her friend was talking about like all the things like, well, won't you miss like, and all the things that they do, like they do, right. It was like a list of things of like that they do on weekends or during the, you know, after work or whatever, not one thing that they ran off that list was go to the theater. Right. Now, 
I mean, if you talk about a lot of the things that used to be unique to New York, like some of the restaurants and some of the cuisines and museums and stuff like that, I don't know many people that live here now, especially the people that like go out and spend money that do the things that are uh, you could only find in New York. You know, if you're going clubbing or you're going to like this famous restaurant, which is probably some sort of franchise um, or a celebrity chef, if you're going to Olive Garden, yeah, you could. (laughs) No, but like, let's say you want to go to like a Bobby Flay restaurant, right? No, like you could do that in Vegas or LA, perhaps. You can do it in Bergen County or Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So. Like, and this is not a criticism. It's just basically a diagnosis of the state of where things are is in the last 20 to 25 years, New York became a rich person's town, not necessarily a discerning cultural aficionado's place to live. Yeah. And so I, that's yeah. why, and theater and Broadway in particular has only continued to get more expensive yeah. to do. And so they've reached out to the people that will truly come out and spend the money on it, as opposed to the people that might have a curiosity for it but not necessarily the deep pockets for it. Yeah, I th- um, I I feel like I've been seeing this demographic shift um and you know that also begs the question of the audience is going to see, you know, going in to see these things and and everybody always makes fun of how old they are, right? And they are old. We're, we're like no doubt, right? Like but these are the ones that remember when Neil Simon was premiering yeah. plays on Broadway. This is part of their their life, like going to the theater several nights a week, seeing a lot of shows, seeing a lot of live stuff. Like this is part of their, this is their habit. Um, and, you know, and I know that people that, well, bring, do younger shows and the younger people will come. No, no, they don't. They really don't. I mean, my controversial response to all of this dialogue that has been going on for the last 18 years of like how to really change Broadway and uh, more than just New York theater or inter- or national theater when it comes back is that like you can put whatever stories and appeal to whatever demographic you want, but that interest is really only going to be cultivated in the home. It's not going to yeah. be cultivated by what they see advertised. Or, or what's, you know, erected and put on posters and stuff like that. Right. Um, so so that is what I think has to change for any consequential change to come. Right. Um, and, you know, we talk about, like, the Neil Simon shows, but those actually did make a lot of money for, for it, it, its time, and they were very popular. But you right. can also have experimental shows like, say, David Rabe or someone who could right. have plays on Broadway in the 70s that that had a lot of political and social commentary and could really find a following. Nowadays, those things would have to be incubated somewhere else, either off Broadway or in a Chicago or at uh, or in D.C. or in L.A. or something or the Guthrie right. and then come as an event to Broadway for a limited run with a star or two. But this is okay. Three. But th- this is what worries me about off Broadway, actually, because I think that you're right. Like it could, ha- it would have to be in Chicago. It would have to be someplace else. Because I also feel like because of this demographic shift off Broadway, you know, eventually the people who go to the theater regularly because this is what they're used to, this is what they do, um, they're gonna die. Yeah, and they're the ones propping up off Broadway right now. What is going to happen to off Broadway? I don't know 
because the people that will willingly give money to those off-Broadway spaces to do good work and then come and maybe engage and maybe not engage with it, but be proud that they did something, there's no one behind them that has that same mentality, right? Right, right. Like it's or, or am not... I wrong? Am I am I wrong? Because I know, like, okay, so I went to when I went to Saint Anne's warehouse for Let the Right One In. That was a very young crowd, but I also felt like it was a very specific play, and I don't know that that crowd shows up to Saint Anne's warehouse again and again and again. Although my yeah. understanding is they do. Um, they might, but. St. Anne's only does like a handful of things a year and the people that go to St. Anne's in the trendy Dumbo area of Brooklyn do have money to spend. They like going to dinner before and having a drink during the show and stuff like that. But I don't think they're interested in going to enough places enough times during the year necessarily. To, to, to sustain all of the off-Broadway theaters that Right. And what I'll say to this, and you may have seen this on, on your side of things dealing with theater, um, but I won't ask you to say it on the record, is the majority of people that I know that are my age or younger, or maybe even a little older, let's say 18 to 45, that like going to the theater or that get something out of going to the theater and following theater people are seeing most of their shows for free. They have an in, they have a connection, they're doing something, or maybe they're just like Instagramming about it and, and it's enough to get it. Like they're not the ones who are patrons of theater. If that Makes sense. It does. I mean, I that I actually am not sure of because I don't know who's getting comps outside of press comps. And but not but no, but maybe it's like, comps. but maybe it's like they have a friend who does, or they sidle up to the right people. Like I know when I worked at Equity, like they were all seeing the shows that they could get to for free, or finding someone that they knew who could. Um, or there are Equity members that, if a show is struggling a little, they can get tickets too. And people know the ones that are really that do have an appetite to want to see theater because it fills a different need, and maybe it's a bit more of a compulsion or not. Those are the people who have that appetite that could sustain theater as the next generation. But my observation is they never pay. Yeah, and I mean, will they, well, honestly, nobody pays for anything anymore. <laughs> I, I like seriously, like kind of across the board. I mean, it's sort of extraordinary how many people don't want to pay for things. Um, you know, everybody wants a free book. Everybody wants music for yeah. free. Everybody wants like it. It is really kind of mind blowing how devalued um, creative work is. It really has been de- devalued like extraordinarily over the past generation or two. Yeah, I won't disagree. I mean, you, I don't think you, anyone can argue that. Um, you know, uh, it's it, it almost feels like a race to the bottom um, to a certain degree. Yeah. And, you know, I think... And that's music... what the film industry has to worry about now yeah, as we try yeah. and reopen and, and pull back what has gone to the streaming. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, musicians felt it hardest and felt it first. Um, with, Certainly. you know, with streaming, yeah. I think, uh, you know, books are also in that category because, you know, with Amazon and, uh, you know, their, their, their Kindle unlimited reading and that, you know, and that sort of, and, and you see it now, it's like subscription services. Uh, it's something that's being talked about all the time in the author community. 
um, you know, looking towards the future and subscription services are going to be it subscriptions for books, for audiobooks, for the, and that pays creators sort of like, you know, pennies on the dollar because it's all based on streams and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and you need a lot of streams to be able to earn, a, a decent living, like an unbelievable yeah. amount of streams. Yeah. And it is, it is an unbelievable amount. Um, you know, so, so I think I, so it's kind of like, in a way, I'm not surprised because this is sort of like that behavior is touching every, every aspect, of and of every creative, it you know, every, I think maybe the only thing that hasn't like, has been like visual art, like nobody walks up to an artist and says, give you, you know, into a gallery and says, give me that painting for free, you know, right. um, that, that seems to, but I don't, but then again, maybe people are working up to visual artists and saying, give me your work for free, like, per, you know, personally, but I, if you're not friends with that person, I cannot <laughs> imagine, <laughs> You know, walking up to a stranger <laughs> and saying, "Yeah, I want that painting." No, that's for a free. big ask. Yeah, <laughs> it's an enormous ask. So I, you know, although that, I wouldn't put it past people, you know, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I mean, that's just sort of like what I'm seeing in society at large. I don't think it's. I don't think it's confined to theater. It's a, no, it's a and weird I think it's behavior. generational too. Yeah, it's a weird behavior yeah. because this is also the younger folk are the ones that are sort of like saying we deserve to be paid a fair wage. And I'm like, yeah. And yeah, yeah, we all do. And this has been going on for far too long. I mean, you know, um, I, in terms of like not making a living wage, I mean, Gen X has been out hanging out there to dry really um, in terms yeah. of, you know, wages and how it hasn't gone, what, you know, it hasn't kept pace with inflation our entire working lives. Tell me about um, it. And so, so it sort of baffles me that this is also the generations that, you know, do, don't want to pay either, you know, and, and so, you know, by, so by not paying for this thing that you want to consume, you are effectively not paying a living wage to the artist that created it. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the difference between say Gen X and Gen Z, the mentality is elitism. Now there was a sense of meritocracy, I think with Gen X, because it was like, all right, I may have to struggle and I may have to pay my dues, but I'll figure out what to do and I'll make ends meet and I can advance and it may be a slog and I may not see the same, you know, like quick incline in what I can uh, obtain as opposed to the previous generation, but but the 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 current mentality is now of I want what I want and I want everything and it's about me and it's not really about I shouldn't have to pay dues or sacrifice or be patient. It's more about instant gratification and just me and now now now. That's what I think is the like binding material for everything you just described. Yeah, I guess I just still don't understand why it's like that sort of push for free. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe, it, maybe it's the older folks that are asking. I don't know, though. They're the ones paying for the theater tickets. Well, the older folks asking why it's like that? No, no, no. Like the older folks are not asking for the free tickets or the free, like, you know, like that sort of, I, I mean, 
I mean, sure, there are some, but not so many, like, not so many, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying, I, I don't know. Moving on. Anyway. I don't know. But it's a problem, know. and the problem won't go away. But anyway, let me just talk a little bit, real quickly, about... Oh, yeah, we should talk about, about the, the show. show. And, then, and then we can move on. This didn't, this didn't have to become a, a socioeconomic 101 class. Um, although, I don't think you... I think you could do worse. Um, but yeah, it is, in a sense, like, kind of a riff on the waiting for Godot or Godot uh, dilemma. It's two characters, two African-American um, characters. Um, that live in kind of this um, nebulous limbo. It's not necessarily a real place. It's not a specific place, but it basically looks like they're on the block of some underdeveloped, unsafe neighborhood um, waiting on something to happen so they can, as the title says, pass over to a promised land where things are better. So we don't get specifics about necessarily what their situation is, but we know that things are probably rough for them, that things aren't going to change anytime soon, and that they hope to get to a better place. Um, and so there's a lot of talking um, that's sort of artful, but not but not specific to developing any sort of plot or developing more insight into character. We just sort of watch them riff, um, you know, and, and sort of bounce like streetwise swagger and wit off of, of each other. And their names are uh, Kitch and Moses. Uh, Kitch is played by Namir Smallwood. Uh, Moses is played by John Michael Hill, who are probably best known still just to people who know, theater um though they have gotten some tv work i had seen john michael hill about a dozen years ago in a tracy let's play called superior donuts with michael mckeon um Mm. and i was kind of annoyed by him and he got a tony nomination for the role because he did a really bad fake crying scene towards the end of that show and i was like embarrassed like on everyone's behalf for him because it was that's not that's not Broadway level. That's not, that's not right. Um, but he's excellent here. Both of these actors are excellent here. Um, and and that, sh- that should not be lost um, in the description of the play. They're, they're, they're excellent. So good for them to, to be uh, part of the show that made it all the way to Broadway. And then there's a third actor. I mentioned someone who had won a Tony and that's Gabriel Ebert, who's a really fine dramatic actor, although he won, his Tony for a musical, he was in the show Matilda about okay. a decade ago. Um, and he was excellent in that too. He's really one of the better, um, of all the lesser known, not yet to become household names from Broadway musicals, he's probably among the very best. Um, and he's done some TV as well in, in addition to doing theater. He's excellent. He plays a couple different roles. Um of, of various white men that these two black men um, come across uh, of both representing sort of white liberalism and then sort of white danger. And the play is good. Uh, Antoinette has changed the ending from its run on Lincoln Center. She also, she had changed it for that version that Spike Lee did for Amazon. So 
to my knowledge, this is a third ending. And I don't think it quite works. I don't think it quite fits. Um, and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say w- what it is, um, because my my because my ultimate take is I recommend this show. Um, it's worth watching these actors. I mean, everything that's involved, all of the design elements, particularly the sound and the lighting, um, are all top notch. These performances are great. Um, and so to anyone who's listening and wondering, A, I'm sure you can get a ticket. It runs into October. Um, but B, on its own, it it is still a flawed work, but it's a flawed work that is quite worth seeing. And I hear you asking a question. Yeah, I was wondering, do you know why they did all these different endings? Like, did it have to do with the medium that they, like, like, with, like it was a film? So, you know, with Spike Lee, you want to do something a little bit different. Broadway, like, do you know why there were so, why the, the endings kept changing? Um, my first guess is that it's still a work in progress, that she's still trying to figure out how to land it. Okay. And she hasn't yet. Okay. Um, and my, my second guess is um, they maybe knowing this was coming to Broadway and was going to be an event in an era of racial reckoning wanted to, to do something that spoke to that. And I'm not okay. sure that this ending doesn't pander to that in a little bit, unfortunately. Okay. I mean, I was just I was just kind of curious because I started thinking about like, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if you just change the endings to things based on the medium? So like when you did like the TV adaptation, the ending would change. The book, the, a book would change. Like the like if you're doing like if you wrote a book and you have an adaptation, then yeah, and then you have like all of this property, but the endings are all different. Yeah, and that makes sense. And a lot of people do that. In this case, it's not quite that because we're talking from we're talking like from off Broadway theater to Steppenwolf theater because the Spike Lee thing for Amazon is what was filmed on stage at Steppenwolf in front of an audience, not exactly just filmed as a movie. Oh, I'm so I didn't realize that. Okay. I probably didn't. I, I, didn't I probably that. wasn't clear about that either. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about from theater to theater to theater. Gotcha. Still. Gotcha. So that so it's just something and you know each time you on. do a new staging, there's still you know there's still work potential to, to read. Well, I mean, nothing's ever nothing's ever finished, right? Unless you're dead, basically. Basically, <laughs> yeah. you know, they some things are locked in a stage production, but but you well, unlock it when you newly stage it, right? But yeah, exactly. things can change when every night is a new night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that is Passover, and so um, you know, this theater, this theater season, I think, is going to be eye-opening. But uh, it has begun. Cool. Um, great. Well, I mean, I'm sort of, you know, sad to hear that it's just the COVID thing. I mean, I know that they tried really hard too with the pandemic. Perth, the doctor, they had the the special. They had the doctor with the associated with the production doing all the COVID protocols and all of that. But I don't know. People just aren't comfortable yet. Yeah. I think I'll be curious to see what's happening for like the shows that have historically been very popular and sell out shows. Yeah. To see what that kind of return is like. Like are people going to the musical? Didn't waitress reopen or are they getting ready? Yeah. Waitress did just reopen. I think tonight wicked and maybe Hamilton reopened. Um, and then there's going to be a slow trickle in the next like three months of other new shows and other returning shows, musicals and plays alike. 
yeah so very curious to see like yeah what those audience might look might be like um yeah because i just don't think people are comfortable yet no but it's also i'm curious to see what it's going to be like when people are reticent to go to the theater during covid and there are 30 shows all vying for the same dollar does it feel premature like maybe they should have waited I mean, my my gut instinct says yes, but it, but it's also like, well, this had to start at some point. Right. It's just it's just got to be a painful reentry, right? Right, right. Like it right. was. I think people wanted it to be. At one point, the disease was just going to be over, and we were just going to return to life as we knew it. And there was going to be like a day, and it was just everything was back to the old normal, and that. That's just not going to be what That's it is. That's not going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, like, everyone I has the, to decide for themselves what they are comfortable with. And, and what is, and also people's habits have changed. You know, Alyssa and I talk all the time about how if you're not commuting to work and you're not in an office near a theater, you're not necessarily going to be inclined Ah. To say, like, my work day from home stops at 6 or 6.30, and now I'm going to hop on a train or a Metro North or a bus or something to get to the theater. Or now I'm going to eat and then run and hope I can make it. And, you know, it's one thing if, okay, I work near Times Square or I work a couple stops away and yeah. I, me and some friends are all going to leave and meet and continue our day at a show. Because yeah. what people really have to do when you work remotely is start your day at 6 or 7 p.m. to do that when you go to the theater. That's How many really people good want point. to do that? That's a really good point that I hadn't even considered. This whole work from home thing is like, you actually have to like get up and leave. Like, like it really is a th- like a thing. Like you have to get up and leave your house. Whereas before you were out in an office anyway, it was almost like your stop before you went home. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like, like you were, you were just continuing your day. Yeah. And now everyone is acting out their days very differently. Yeah. That's and the theater really isn't point. something that a bunch of people might not be near. And I could be wrong. I just, we don't think that we've seen many people talking about that. You know, there's a host of reasons that people prescribe about why you may or may not feel comfortable or want to spend money on shows. And they're primarily about health as they should mm-hmm. be or money. But, but no one's really talking about how all of our habits have changed. Right. I mean, it really is kind Maybe of Maybe I'm wrong, ease but I haven't use. seen any people. Yeah. You know, it yeah, becomes about it ease of yeah, use, right? About, and, you know? Yeah, proximity. Yeah. 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 And the, and it's not, it's no longer as easy as stepping out of your office building and maybe walking 10 blocks or get jumping exactly. on a subway um, that's on your way home anyway. You're already right. out. You know, um, it's now it's just a very, like, now I'm going to get up, uh, you know, up from my desk get on a subway to go downtown or uptown or wherever you're going to turn around and go back home. Like, yeah. Like it just feels like I'm already home. You remember that? Exactly. That exactly. Was a, That's exactly it. Yeah. Like that was a thing when I was, you know, when I was going out a lot and I would be like, you know, I would never, I would always be like, I can't go home. Like people would be like, Oh, let's meet up later. And I'd be like, yeah, but then I'm going to go home. If I go home, I'm not leaving. Yeah. You know, like if I have like, yeah, that, and that that's time, our thing. Like, once we're yeah. in, we're in. Yeah. Like, even, you know, even we've back had when our I was day. going out all the yeah. time. Yeah. I was like, if I, you know, if there's dead time in between events and, and it's like, oh, just go home for a few hours. If I go home for a few hours, I'm not going back out. No, I agree. 
You know, so I so I think that that might be definitely something that's at play here. And it is very interesting that nobody has brought that up because I think that that is a very real thing. It might actually be even realer than I don't want to go because of COVID. Yeah, we'll see. I feel like either I'm an idiot for thinking this or I'm a genius because no one else has thought of this. But just just something else to chew on as we as we watch what the return is like. Yeah. All right. So what else? What else? What else? Well, I wanted to talk about some TV things. I love TV. And since we're talking about neighborhoods, I thought we could both talk about a TV show that was filmed all around where I live. (gasps) And that is Only Murders in the Building on Hulu with Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. What a delight. It It is a real gem of a show. I am it's a lot just of fun. enjoying this show so much. First of all, can you believe I've never seen anything with Selena Gomez in it? Well, I don't think I have either. I mean, I've known who she is. Maybe uh, yeah. a lot of her songs. Um, but I don't think I've seen her in anything. Yeah. Um, and she is a s- delightful surprise. I'm really enjoying her. Um, I think her choice of material was really clever. I think that her choice of doing this was very smart. I agree. Um, and I don't know, I don't know that there would have been many other actors, young act, you know, young actresses sort of clamoring for this role. Not that it's thankless or, or a bad role. It's actually a wonderful role. But I just think that it's it's smart and savvy, and it's not very showy. It's not the sort of role that gets you the cover of Vanity Fair right it's it's not that role um but but it's by by which you mean it's not a prestige part necessarily for for someone of a certain like star wattage yeah like it's a fun show but it's not the queen's gambit yes yes yeah but there is something really really charming about it. it it almost feels like watching uh shouts and murmurs yeah. Or like it feels very it's a it, well just it's such a New York story and they're doing such a great job. And it job. kind of fuses like old New York, old New York with, with modern New York. life. Yeah. I feel. Yeah. I I Cuz you have that. this like fancy old block wide apartment building on the Upper West Side um where some like truly rich and comfortable people seem to be living um with like the way we all live now which is you know some of us are scammers and a lot of us love listening to podcasts and are obsessed with true crime and only look at our phone all day long and that's how we communicate and um like if you dig in a little bit there's a lot going on though it's mostly uh about like how you have or the characters are solving a murder that took place in their building. And having said that, I have not even yet begun to mention anything about Steve Martin and Martin Short, who are like two of our great yeah. acting mm-hmm. treasures. I am watching every time I watch this, I just sit there and go, I love Martin Short. I can't, but where has he been? I love Martin Short. I love everything about Martin Short. Like, I mean, I love Steve Martin, but I love Martin Short. And so it's been... And like, I think I'm the reverse. Having him. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I think well, I'm no, like, I'm I love Martin Short. I've always loved Martin Short. And then I look at Steve Martin. I'm like, you are just a true genius. You are like the Leonardo da Vinci of uh, uh, of, of showbiz. Uh, I together, just think he's amazing. 
putting yeah. them together. Did you ever see Three so Amigos, great. by the way? I did, like, ages ago. Well, to me, it's like, they're the best of the Amigos, because I could take or leave Chevy Chase. But the other two, I'm like, you guys are just amazing. Yes. Yeah. And so to have them, and they're playing these sort of almost, like, iconic, like, I don't know, like the characters they're playing are almost cliche yet iconic and so fun. So like Steve Martin, the has been washed up, you know, TV actor, um, you know, the, the cop, the cop show actor. Right. And Martin Short is this sort of ridiculous, like theater director who is who is just he's silly. He's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and like over the top. Yeah, over the, yeah, like over the top and his cluelessness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he is just perfect and an absolute delight to watch. And I am just enjoying the shit out of this. Yeah. So we knew they were filming it because like all through the winter and into spring of last year, there were signs uh, about all the various locations that are right around our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, And at one point we actually walked by Selena Gomez as I think she was filming something or going to film something. I only know because there was a whole crowd going the other direction and we were like, who are they all following? And then Alyssa said, Oh, it's Selena Gomez. Cause she's filming only murders in the building here. And I was like, Oh, well I had walked right by her. Um, but wouldn't you know it? The very first scene of the very first episode was filmed right on our block. Oh, fun. Yeah, it's a Steve Martin is confronting someone uh, or he's talking to someone whose dad was a fan of him because he's like uh, like an erstwhile TV star. And and that's like that's right where we get on the subway. That's our 72nd Street subway stop. So that was cool. Um, But yeah, it's obviously a thrill to to see our name. Um, But it's, uh, you know, it's very um, joyful to watch. Yeah, I'm, I'm like just digging, like, I just, it just feels so, uh, it's just like a breath of fresh air to sort of sit down and watch that and just know you're just going to be delighted, you know, and that, that's exactly what I am. I'm just delighted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that is what it is. Yeah. So So, two um, thumbs up. You're two episodes in, right? I'm two episodes in, you're five, correct? And I'm five in. I think I'm at the halfway point. I won't say anything more because I don't want to give anything away, but I think we should definitely revisit it as we get to the end of the season. And it was just Uh, renewed for a second season, so it is coming back. Yay! Yay. Excellent. Okay. You have something else that I think we're going to be revisiting too. Yeah, I I was just going to say, I was going to say exactly that. Um, And I didn't know anything about this, though, of course, my beloved did. Um, There's an Amazon series called uh, Lula Rich about the company Lula Roe, which is a, Mm -hmm. I mean, they call it multi-level marketing company, but it's really a pyramid scheme organization well, aren't all mlms pyramid schemes i mean i think they're they i mean there's a sentence in one of the episodes that distinguishes between like the legality of one and the illegality of the other um but they are largely one and the same um and it, and it basically talks about this like ridiculous uh like clothing manufacturer that built thousands of people uh out of millions of dollars in 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 this odd sort of like resale pyramid scheme um what, and what's odd is that the two people that founded the company are interviewed and talk a lot, though they didn't produce this. So 
I think they could have come off worse, though obviously if their hands were on it, they would have come off better. Um, <laughs> but I'm interested to hear hear what you what you think. But some of the people that they get to do these testimonials are absolutely hilarious. So um, really, yeah, it's four it's four hours, and each episode is like 44, 45 minutes. So it's pretty they're pretty quick bites. Um, and I was like. I, I couldn't believe I didn't know anything about it um, because now I feel like I know so much about it and and there's so much to learn about, uh, well, I you mean, know, like what they did I or guess tried to do. Probably around 2000, maybe 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more, um, Facebook was just flood. I was just flooded on Facebook by friends who were like, you know, come do my, come, come join my LuLaRoe page. Come do my, I'm doing like a lot, like, you know, like these live shopping demos or whatever. Like, I feel like LuLaRoe was kind of fueled by the internet or specifically Facebook because there uh, were a lot of these virtual. You're correct on both of those accounts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like it was really sort of, fl- and, and, um, and I just remember being like, oh my God, no. And those, and who wears leggings and God, they're ugly. <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of them are really ugly i was like oh but it really was i and i mean i do i had heard stories and this was and i don't know if they cover this in the documentary or if it's really just the negative stuff but i had heard stories about how it did make some women a lot of money i have a tough time with uh multi-level marketing companies i do think they're pyramid schemes i do think that they're scams but you can also not deny that for some for some women it represents it, it can be the only job that they have some of them can be quite good at it and can actually make some money yeah and the the miniseries touches down on on some of that you know how it appealed to a lot of housewives and stay-at-home moms and Mm -hmm. um i mean i agree with you i do think they are pyramid schemes and they are scams but i also think it's kind of like gambling where if you know how to play the game and know exactly when and how to get out at the right time then you can succeed at it but most of the people why would you stop doing it and so they stayed right. in it long enough that once once the the people at the top started failing them, it kind of was too late. It was like a house of cards, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Although yeah. the company still exists, it hasn't completely folded, which is also interesting. Oh, that is it, like this I isn't know... a post mortem necessarily. Because I know a lot the of the company people... is essentially disgraced, but it still exists, and there are still employees. Well, it's that's interesting because I know a lot of people that had their leggings were they're, they're kind of stuck with this like supply, you know, this this um, yeah yeah, which know, is the, they, the part one of it, yeah yeah, and they and they have to have like these basically like these fire sales to like get yeah. rid of all of this stuff, you know, like uh, you know a hundred leggings for a buck, you know what I mean, like that sort of fire sale just to unload the merchandise, um, lest they throw it out. So I'm a little bit surprised because as my understanding is the market was just absolutely flooded with these cheap leggings that people are just trying to like dump it for cost or less just, you know, just to like make something back, you know, so I am a little bit surprised that they're still out there churning out, you know, ugly leggings. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you watch this movie and you're sure that the company has already had to go under, but no, they haven't. Oh, that's fascinating. 
Oh, that's very funny. Yeah, I really, I really was very curious about this because, like I said, it was sort of like one of those things that I was following because I had knew so many people selling this stuff, and then, um, you know, and then it seemed to sort of like trickle away, and then I started hearing. You know, I, I mean, there's been a lot in the past several years, um, kind of like true crime um, on the internets. Uh, the other thing that people do like to sort of like dig into are these multi-level marketing pyramid schemes. Um, there are a lot of sort of exposés on the internet um, about them. Yeah. Uh, which yeah, I you've seen a lot of fascinating. them. Yeah, yeah. So cool. I am, I am looking forward to watching that. Yeah, that's definitely a recommendation. Um, I also have two other quick things and then tis late. We shall go. Um, one is I am loving the second season of the show work in progress on Showtime, uh, which I had mentioned after watching the first season before I am sadly almost done with it. Cause it's just another season of eight episodes. And I think I've already seen six of them. Um, but it's really terrific. I think it probably, again, is the best thing I will have seen on TV all year. Um, starring the comedian Abby McEnany in a largely autobiographical show about her life uh, as a, a lesbian in Chicago. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah. Um, really, 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 really great. Um, so definitely if any of you have access to it and you may be able to access it through Amazon in addition to Showtime, um, it's worth it. And then the other thing is just, uh, respect to, um, the late Norm MacDonald, who I think was a really great comedian and sketch actor and also writer. Um, obviously some of his SNL stuff is famous and, you know, is his his legacy. Um, but the thing that Alyssa and I were talking about earlier that I just want to bring up is he was also a writer on Roseanne. And even when Roseanne came back, um, he was part of that return team of writers, uh, the best episode of Roseanne is probably one of the best episodes of television. And that is when Roseanne and Jackie's father passes away. And he writes a scene where Laurie Metcalf's character is trying to tell this old doddering aunt that the father is dead. And she just has to go on and on because the aunt doesn't hear it. She's not getting through, you know, and it goes from tragedy to comedy back to tragedy. And it's amazing. YouTube it. Uh, uh, Norm Macdonald wrote that that scene. I had no in idea particular. that he wrote for Roseanne. I had yeah, I no think idea. he really did come up through writing, through comedy writing, um, and that was his break. So, um, so yeah, you know, I don't love everyone necessarily who was uh, an SNL player, but I do think he was one of the better ones from my viewing life. Uh, it's a real shame. Sixty-one years old, nine yeah. years dealing with cancer. It's Oof. sad. That is sad. That is sad. All right. Well, guys, it's been fun, even if we ended on a sad note. Um, But yeah, we gave you some recs, and Karen and I are going to continue watching Only Murders in the Building. Um, And yeah, so probably more TV and movie stuff to talk about next week, including maybe my response uh, to this weekend's upcoming Emmy Awards. Oh, that's this weekend. Wow. It is. All right. Well, um, I'm going to go to bed because some of us have to get up and work tomorrow. Yeah. Some of Uh, us have to leave the house and work. My God, poor thing. (laughs) 
Um, so we will see you guys next week. Yeah, we will be back on the boulevard in a week's time. Wish me luck with my fasting till then. Okay, good luck. Oh, thanks. All right. <laughs> Bye, guys. Stay well. See you when we're back on the boulevard. Bye. <laughs>